God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to be preaching on this subject, the dreams of Joseph. Now, these are the words of Joseph's brethren when he came toward them after that he had told them of his dreams. Verse 18, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. They saw their brother coming toward them, and they make a plan. We are going to kill him. Premeditated, cold-blooded murder. That is how they felt about their brother. <clears throat> Verse 19, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. They even came up with their alibi. And we shall see what will become of his dreams, the dreams of Joseph. Now, I want you to remember that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Every word God breathed. And these stories in the Old Testament are not just given to us to tell us of historical events. This is something that literally took place. But it's given to teach us concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said with regard to the scriptures, they are they which testify of me. And this passage of scripture regarding the dreams of Joseph is given to testify concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's pick up in the first part of Genesis chapter 37 to find out why it was that his brothers hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. Verse 2 of Genesis chapter 37 these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph, being 17 years old. Now, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, the son of his old age, the son of Rachel, his favorite wife. And Jacob demonstrated great favoritism toward Joseph, as we shall see. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Billa and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, the two concubines and their four sons. And the scripture says Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now they were doing something evil. We're not told what it was they were doing. 
But Joseph let his father know about what they were doing. Somebody may be thinking, should Joseph be a tattletale? Should he be a rat? Well, normally speaking, I would say, no, you shouldn't do something like that. But this is Joseph being a type of Christ, and we see exactly why he acted this way. He's showing the difference between him and his brethren. Now, we read in verse 3, now Israel, or Jacob, remember Jacob's name had been changed to Israel, and you find throughout the scriptures him called sometimes Jacob and sometimes Israel. Now Israel loved Jacob more than all his children. Jacob was raised with his father, Isaac, loving his brother more than he did Jacob. You would think Jacob would have learned his lesson by that, but he didn't. As a matter of fact, he was worse than his father was. He showed such blatant favoritism toward his son Joseph. He put him above his brothers. And you can imagine what a dynamic that would make. If your parents gave your little brother or little sister extreme favoritism over you, you would probably be jealous as well. Uh, his brothers were jealous and envious of him. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. Now this coat always demonstrated to the brothers, Joseph is the favorite. He's favored over you. He has a higher place with his father than you do. And I'm sure that every time they saw him wearing that coat that his father gave him, they would become irritated, to say the least. We read in verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably to him. Every word that came out with regard to Joseph was, were words of hostility. They resented him so much they hated him. And this was before he gave his dreams. Now keep this in mind. They're already angry with Joseph. They already hate him. They already are unable to speak any good of him. That's how complete this hatred was. And then Joseph gives them these dreams. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them here, I pray you this dream which I've dreamed for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obedience to my sheep. Sheep. That word means you hit the ground and worshiped. Your sheaves fell in the dirt at the feet of my sheep and worshiped. Now, can you imagine how this enraged his brothers? Verse 8, and his brethren said, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? 
and they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, verse 9. Here's a second dream. And he told his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obedience to me. The whole created universe fell down and worshipped me. And there's significance to those numbers. The sun and the moon represent his mother and his father. The eleven stars, his eleven brethren. And he said, everything and everybody, you and the whole created universe, fell down and worshipped me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee in the earth? Yes, they will. You can read uh, some years later when he's the uh, governor of Egypt and they don't know who he is and they come to get food. They could not have any food unless he gave it to them. And they came and bowed themselves down on the earth before him, just as his dream said they would. Verse 11, and his brethren envied him. But his father observed that saying. Now you can see after these dreams, verse 18, and when they saw him afar off, Even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. We will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Now, in this story, and it literally took place. This is a historical narrative In this story, we see the response of every natural man to the reign and the dominion of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, God's Christ. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? This is what they became so angry over. This is what made them hate their brother Joseph because of his claims to reigning over them and having dominion over them. Now, Jesus Christ is the well-beloved son of the father. He's the son of the father's old age. Now, I realize God doesn't have age. He's eternal. He never began to be. He will never end. And Christ Jesus is the eternal son. We read in John chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning, before there was any creation, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God as a distinct person from God. And the Word was God. The same was, eternally was, in the beginning 
with God. And Christ has his coat of many colors. As Joseph was given this coat, showing the father's favoritism toward him, Christ is the father's favorite, and that coat of many colors represents all the divine perfections, all the divine attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says in Colossians 2, 9, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's fullness of omnipotence. There's fullness of wisdom. There's fullness of holiness. There's fullness of sovereignty. There's fullness of independence. There's fullness of omnipresence in his body. Oh, this coat of many colors represents all the perfections of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 37, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, two things were said of them. They hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. Now, this represents you and I by nature. By nature, we hate the Lord Jesus Christ. And we lack the ability to speak well from our hearts of him. Now, somebody is thinking, I don't hate Christ. Well, there's a problem with that. The Bible says we do. Now, that's enough to make us reconsider our position. And the fact of the matter is, we don't hate the Jesus Christ that we can manipulate. We don't hate the Jesus Christ that we can control. We hate the Christ over which we have no control. Men's hatred of Christ is seen when they hear who he really is. Nobody hates a Christ they can control and manipulate. And, uh, but a Christ who's absolutely sovereign, who rules and reigns over me, the natural response is we will not have this man reign over us and violate our rights and violate our, our free will. We've got to have some control in this thing. And when we hear of the Christ who has utter reign, we hate him. Now, the proof of this is the cross. I'm not asking you to look within your own thoughts as to how you feel about the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the facts. The cross. The one-time men were allowed to do what they wanted to do with Jesus Christ. They nailed him to a cross. They murdered him. Now, they were only doing what God had appointed to be done. This was all a part of God's purpose to save men. But when men were left to do what they wanted to do, and you and I would do the same thing. We're lying to ourselves if we say that's not the case. If left to ourselves, we would nail Jesus Christ to a tree when we find out of his claims over us. And not only that, we learned something of total inability. They could not. They lacked the ability to speak peaceably to him. It doesn't say they would not, but they could not. The natural man cannot love Christ. John 6, says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Romans 8, 7 says, The carnal mind, the mind you and I were born with, is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man, that's the way we're born, 
receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither indeed can he know them. He lacks the ability to know them because they're spiritually discerned. For me to have any understanding of anything spiritual, I'm going to have to be born again. I'm going to have to be born from above. God is going to have to do something for me. These men were opposed to their brother. Totally depraved, totally unable. That's why they say after hearing this first dream, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? They were opposed to this. But the answer to that question is yes, he does reign over you. Yes, he does have dominion over you. Listen to this scripture from Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you and I will bow either now in our hearts or later in judgment when we're forced to, to acknowledge his lordship. Either now willingly or then unwillingly, but bow we shall. The Lord has promised that. Now, the teaching of these dreams is the teaching of the absolute sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? The absolute sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to read a passage from John chapter 5 that speaks of his absolute sovereignty. Sovereignty. He says, beginning in verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and quickens them. Now, picture this in your mind. Somebody dead in sins, God raises that person. He doesn't ask them if they want to be raised. He raises them. He quickens them. Gives them life. As the Father raises the dead and quickens them, even so the Son quickens whom He will. Salvation is up to His will. You being given life, me being given life, is totally up to His will. That's what is meant by the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. His will is always done. There's nothing that happens apart from His will. Uh, When the universe was created, it's because He willed it. Everything that happens in time happens because He wills it. He's in control of every event. There's nothing that falls outside the umbrella of His sovereignty. It covers everything. Salvation is up to Him. The leper understood this when he said, Lord, if you will, You can make me clean. He didn't say, Lord, I will that you make me clean. What um, rebellion that would be. You don't come into God's presence telling him what to do. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. This speaks of the absolute sovereignty of the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Yes, Reuben. Yes, Levi. Yes, Simeon. Judah. Dan. Naphtali. Gad. Asher. Issachar. Zebulun. Benjamin. You're all going to bow the knee to your brother. And everybody is going to bow the knee to the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you a question. You're in his hands. Your destiny, whether or not you're going to be in heaven or in hell, is up to him. It's not up to you. It's up to him. He's going to determine where you will spend eternity. What's your response to that? Is it good news? Or is it bad news? Now, it's good news if you can't save yourself. There's hope for your salvation. He can will your salvation if he's pleased to do it. The only hope you have is if he's pleased to do it. But the fact that he may, if he is pleased, that's good news. Now, it's bad news to you if you hope that you can be saved by something you do that can obligate God to save you. Because this takes away all your hope. It tells you the things that you're hoping in don't count. It's bad news then. Now, which is this? Good news or bad news? Christ reigns in absolute authority. He reigns over the free and uncoerced actions of men and demons. He controls everybody. He reigns in salvation. Your salvation is in his hands, whether you're saved or not. Now, what is your response? Now, I'd like to close by giving you some scriptures with regard to the reign of of the Lord Jesus Christ. This brother said, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou have dominion over us? Well, listen to these scriptures. Psalm 93, 1, The Lord reigneth. Now, this is just the facts. Somebody says, I don't agree with that. Well, it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. It's the facts. The Lord reigneth. <clears throat> He's absolutely sovereign in creation, in providence, and in salvation. The Lord reigneth. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. It was back that way then. It's that way now. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will. In the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? All his works are truth. And his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Psalm 47, 8 says, God reigneth over the heathen. Those who do not believe he reigns over them, he still reigns over them. Uh, Romans 14, 9 says, he's Lord both, Jesus Christ is Lord both of the dead and the living. The man dead in sins, they belong to him. The man who lives, he's their Lord. He's most especially the Lord of the sheep, but he's the goat's Lord too. Because he's Lord of all. Psalm 96.10 says, Say ye among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. This is what the unbeliever needs to hear. You're in God's hand. He reigns over you. That last breath of air you took is his air. And he can cut it off anytime he's pleased. He reigns in absolute sovereignty over everybody. 
Psalm 99.1 says, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. Now you will only worship an absolute sovereign God. A God that you can manipulate, a God you can control, you won't worship that God. You'll only worship a God in whose hands you are. Psalm 97.1 says, The Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice. I love His reign. What fearful uh, implications there are if He doesn't reign everywhere. I don't want to be anywhere where He doesn't reign because somebody else is reigning. But here the glorious good God reigns. And then we read in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, Peace that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. That's good news. Now let me show you why. I want to end with this passage in Romans chapter 5. We read, Moreover, the law entered that sin might, that offense might abound. Now if you ever see what God's law says, you're going to see that sin just bubbles out of you and abounds over you and that all you are is sin. Now, if you can see God's law and see something else, you haven't seen God's law. If you see what God's law really says, you're going to see that you're a place where sin abounds. But where sin abounded, would that be you? Listen to this. Grace did much more abound. Every place where sin abounds, grace always abounds much more. That as sin hath reigned unto death, you can't prevent death. That as sin hath reigned unto death, in the same manner even so might grace reign, you can't prevent grace. His grace is saving grace. It's not just thrown out there and offered to you. Wherever there's someone where sin abounds, grace abounds. Grace reigns through righteousness. Here's what His grace does. His grace makes you righteous. Christ Jesus dying on the cross put away your sin. His righteousness is given to you so that you are righteous. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. This is what grace does. It makes you righteous. It reigns through righteousness unto eternal life, which is by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, shall he reign? Yes, he shall. Yes, he shall. But listen to this. Everyone who's ever come to him for mercy, he's received. Somebody says, well, I came to him for mercy. He didn't receive me. No, you didn't. You tried to strike a deal with him. You tried to bargain with him. You said, I'll do this if you do that. That won't work. But if you come with a rope around your neck for pure, free mercy and grace, you will be received. He said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This is Todd Nyberg praying that God will be pleased to make himself known to you. That's our prayer. Amen. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com 
or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen.